Well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist. We're glad you're joining us in worship this morning. If you're a guest with us, uh, you'll see in the pew rack there in front of you is a little white guest registration card. That'll be a great gift for us if you could take just a moment to fill that out and you can drop it in these drop boxes at the conclusion of the service or you can bring it to the welcome desk there to a pastor. That'd be a great uh, thing for us to be able to connect with you later on. Just want to wish all the fathers out here a, a happy Father's Day and, and in just a moment we're going to pray and just want to pray for you as, as you continue to lead your families spiritually and, and be an influence in, in your children's lives and just want to say thank you for the impact that you have and the leadership over your family. This morning also, uh, Jake and Daniel are out leading our Jesus tent, our, our service out there at Bonnaroo, and so we want to pray for their service as they'll be preaching out there and, and leading in service out there, so we want to pray for them in, in just a moment as, as we lead as well. And then finally, I just wanted to give you a, a brief report. I was able to go as a chaperone with the children's ministry with Megan on, on her trip last week to Center Kid, and we had a great week. We thank you uh, for praying for us. We had four uh, young boys pray to receive Christ, so... Amen. Seventeen or nineteen? I can't. I'm not for sure that exact number. Either seventeen or nineteen, somewhere around in there, and another four more here at camp. So that's awesome. So hopefully the the same thing will happen for the on the high school trip and the middle school trip coming up. So let's begin service this morning just by praying. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you just for the chance to gather, to sing uh, your praises, to recognize that we are yours, Father, that you gave us a new name. Lord, we just want to pray this morning for the service going on out at Bonnaroo. We pray um, for Jake and his leadership out there and for Daniel as he leads worship out there this morning. And we pray that lives will be changed through the preaching of your word out there this morning under the Jesus tent. Lord, we pray for fathers here this morning. We just thank you for their, uh, their leadership, their, their service to their family, their love for their spouse and their children. God, we just pray that you continue to empower them. I know it gets tiring. I know it can be tough. And so, Lord, we just say thank you for fathers this morning and just uh, continue to help them to rely on your strength. God, it's in your name that we pray this morning. We thank you for your leadership over this service this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, good morning. This morning we are going to be in the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles, you can be turning there. I want to look at a passage where Paul calls us uh, and, and teaches the church there in Colossae how to live out their faith. Um, just to back up a little bit, we're going to be in chapter 3. But in chapter 1, Paul spends chapter 1 talking about the supremacy of Christ, about his power, about his authority, what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Then in chapter 2, uh, Paul gives a warning about false teaching and about uh, false, you know, about legalism, about human tradition, about human regulations, all these things that they were tempted to put above Christ. And so Paul is giving them a warning. You could look in chapter 2 and, and see that later. But we're going to spend just a few minutes in chapter 3. And I want you to see this morning here in chapter 3 that Paul gives us three things to look at, to focus our lives on for holy living in Christ. So in a sentence, Paul says in chapter 1, Christ is supreme. Here's all these things that you, you could do wrong, but let's focus our attention in chapter 3 on Christ. And so that's kind of a, a quick overview statement of those three chapters. And so the first thing that I want us to see this morning is that we're called to look up. We're called to look up. And so we're going to focus, we must first focus our eyes and focus our attention on Christ. We've got to look up and keep our eyes on him. Paul's going to show us here in these first four verses, he's going to paint a picture of our entire journey, our entire walk with Christ, and, and show us how we've got to stay focused on Christ. So we have to look to him, that we must trust in him to live a life that honors him. So in verse 1, Again, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. And so we're going we're gonna to pause. I want to point out a few things as we're going here. And it begins here again, this, this whole journey with Christ. He says, first, that you've been raised with Christ. This is at your moment of salvation when Jesus pulled you from the grave. You are no longer dead in your sins, but now Christ has raised you. We're going to have a baptism at the 11 o'clock service. And that 11 o'clock service, that's a picture of us identifying with Christ and his death, burial, and his resurrection. And so Jesus raised us from the dead. So that's what took place in the past. You can see there in your notes, we're raised with Christ, and that was done in the past. So Paul begins at our journey in the beginning, at our point of salvation. And so he tells us then, he says, we've got to set your hearts on things above. And he doesn't tell us what these things are above, but he gives us this qualifier. He says here, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So he reminds us that we're setting our hearts on things that Christ has ordained as Christ is authoritative over our lives. That We're supposed to set our hearts on things that honor Christ. So setting our hearts on things above would be striving to put heavenly priorities into daily practices into our lives. And so you see, this, this word set, it's a, it's a present imperative verb. I'm not a, a huge English major, but here's what that verb means, that it's a continuous action verb. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime thing. That We have to daily set our hearts on what prioritized, is what, what Christ prioritizes in our life, not on what we want to do. So every day we have to choose to put God in his rightful place in our lives, his rightful place of authority over our lives. So here's what verse 2 says then, continuing on. Then he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So not only do we set our hearts there, 
but we also have to set our minds there. So again, he's making this contrast between heavenly things, heavenly priorities, and earthly things, earthly priorities. And so he's, you know, Paul is, is calling us to have an eternal perspective in life. Call, Paul is calling us to have this eternal perspective rather than the temporary focus on earth that we often have, on, on things that we place importance on, on finding happiness, on status, on uh, rewards in life or stuff. Those are the temporary things that we put our focus on and we set our minds on so often when we need to set our minds with an eternal perspective. We have to be reminded constantly that, to continually set our hearts and our minds on Christ and on His focus. You see, it, it changes the way that we think about everything. When we view it in light of eternity, it changes the way we, 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 our thought process, the way we think about things, what we're putting our mind on. And so Paul says something similar in the book of Philippians in chapter 4. Listen to what he writes to them. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You see, it's hard for us to be living a life of sin and doing the wrong things when we're thinking about what is true and what, what is noble in our life and what is the right thing to do. And so Paul, in this very same passage, and then he goes on to encourage them to say, whatever you've learned from him, whatever you've received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is telling them in Philippians, no different than in Colossians, we've got to set our hearts and we've got to set our minds on Christ Jesus and carry each day an eternal perspective. And so here in verse 3, then he reminds us, he says this, he says, For you died, for you died to your, your old sinful nature, right? You've been raised to a new life in Christ, you're a new creation, but your old nature is dead, it died. And then he, this is what he promises us. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, Paul's trying to help us understand that there's a sense of security. So, so we're, we're raised with Christ, and now we can see as we walk with Christ, we're hidden with Christ. Right? That's our present, that we're right now, we're hidden with Christ. We're seen in, 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 in protection under God's refuge. He uses Old Testament language here. Listen, listen to how uh, David says this in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 27. It says, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe. You see how God protects us? In his dwelling, he will hide me in his shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Again, in Psalm 31, David writes this in, in verse 19. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. You see, this makes me think of my children, the way that we can hide in the Lord, and daily we have our protection, our shelter, our refuge in God. You know, I live out in the country, and, and my kids, we love to play hide-and-go-seek in the dark, right? And so we have three acres, and about the back acre is all woods. And all three of my kids have gone through this phase when they have friends over there, you know, mainly when we play is when we have a big group, and they'll have their friends come over, and 
you know, they're like, oh, that's dark out there, and that looks kind of scary. And, and I'll say, okay, are we ready? And we'll figure out who's going to, you know, find people first. And we go to hide, and inevitably, my kids and other, other kids said, well, where are you going to hide, Mr. Tim? And can I go hide with you? And I take off, and I'm running, and I'm trying to find the best place, and I look back, and i got five other kids behind me. I'm like, look, if we all hide together, this isn't going to work. But you see, they wanted to hide because they felt a sense of security, right? Just a, a sense of comfort. And that's how we are. We're hidden with Christ in God. And so all throughout our journey, all throughout our faith journey in Christ, we're hidden with him for his sense of security, his sense of protection. Verse 4 continues, and he teaches us this. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. See, Paul is reminding them, not only are you raised with Christ, not only are you hidden with Christ, but I want to promise you of the return of Christ, that Christ is coming back for you. And when he appears, he's going to take you back to heaven, and he's going to, you're going to be revealed with Christ in the future. You see, we're going to appear with, with Jesus, and so we're going to be revealed to God as his children so Paul wants us to see that we're raised with Christ, we're hidden with Christ, and we're revealed with Christ, the past, the present, and the future. That's our entire journey with Jesus. So he's reminding them, don't, don't fall for this false teaching. Instead, remember who you are in Christ. That's why we must look up. We've got to look up to remember what God has done for us in the past, what he's doing in our lives right now, and the promise of his future return that he's coming for us. So by keeping our eyes on him, by keeping our eyes up, it helps us walk with him each day. But here's the second thing that Paul wants us to see. Not only do we look up to God, Paul calls us to look in. We're called to look in. See, we've got to look in, and what I mean by this is that we must focus our attention, we must focus our eyes on our own hearts and our own lives. We've just been called to set our minds and our hearts on Christ Jesus, and here's what he says then. And so, He's going to tell us that as a Christ follower, uh, that we have to have not an earthly perspective, but that heavenly perspective and that heavenly priorities, that, that those earthly and sinful manners, when we live in those ways, that it contradicts our, our heavenly perspective that we're supposed to live with. So look what he says here in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And so he calls us to put it to death. You know, that's, um, that's Paul calling us to take drastic measures against our sin, right? Paul doesn't say, man, it's okay to struggle with it forever. It's okay just to feel bad about it, but go on doing it. Paul doesn't say, it's okay to know what's right, but not to do it in this verse. Instead, Paul says, put it to death, right? Let me give you an example. I've got... Uh, now, I don't want to sound morbid, but, you know, this makes me think of a mousetrap when I, when I first read Put to Death, right? I'm kind of an old school guy, and, man, I like those little wooden ones, that, you know, and, and the mouse is dead. Like, you've put it to death, right? You, you know, you can hear the little thing. I, have you ever sit and listen, and you hear the thing scurry across there, and then, and you're like, it's dead, all right? And you know it's dead, because you, you put it right where you knew they were going to be walking through, because you wanted to put it to death. That's why I don't like those little bait traps. Because then I go over there later and I'm like, I can't tell if he ate anything or not. Well, I wonder if he ate it. Where'd he go? Then you look around and you're like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll smell him in a week. And then you read the box and it's like, you won't smell him as he decomposes. And then you never know. Did you really ever put it to death? 
And those little sticky traps, what good are they? Right? You've seen them get on it, and they've drugged the thing halfway across my garage before, but they're gone, right? So Paul's telling us like a mousetrap to put that thing to death. So the struggle that we have with sin, we've got to put it to death, right? We can't linger in sin. We can't just, you know, think about it. We, we're, he's called us here to begin with to put our sin to death because we're raised with Christ and hidden with Christ and going to be revealed with Christ. So here's what he says. He begins to list some of the things that they struggled with. And his first category is, is sexual sin. He says uh, in verse 5 there, uh, put to death in whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your sexual immorality, your impurity, your lust, your evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. I, I, I tend to think those all are related to sexual sin. I think even the evil desires, I mean, we know there are some evil things going on sexually and sexual perversion today, right? And, and we know that, that greed can be in the form of excessive desire of anything. I think Paul's relating this first issue of all just a sexual sin, but even if it's just greed and evil, other forms of sin, it's all forms of sin that he's calling us to put to death, right? And so, either way, it doesn't matter. Paul's not, he's calling us to put it to death. And then look in verse 6, he gives us a warning. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So Paul gently reminds us, as Christ followers, look, the wrath of God is coming. God disciplines those who are walking away from him, right? Just like as a parent, when our kids disobey us, we discipline them to try to get them back on the right track. Read, you know, read later in Hebrews 12 and in Proverbs 3 about God's disciplining his children to, to get them back on track. And so I think Paul's giving them a warning here in verse 6. Because of these sinful things, the wrath of God is coming. Why? In verse 7. Because you used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. In other words, these aren't the characteristics that are supposed to describe your life now. These are the way you used to live, the way you used to walk before you were a Christ follower. So then he gives another example in verse 8. He says, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. So he's going to give us another category of, of sinful things. And I think these all have to do with wrong attitudes and actions you'll see toward other people. Maybe a, a lack of control over our emotions when it comes to interactions with other people. He says this, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You know, you ever been present when somebody just goes off on somebody else? You're like, man, that guy's got some anger issues, right? And, and sometimes it's a Christian, and sometimes it happens here in the church. We see people slandering or talking badly about other people or just filthy language and, and, and derogatory toward other people or, um, you know, anybody, I, I struggle with sarcasm. You know, that's, that's one of the things, I mean, sometimes that's the first thing that comes to my mind is just a sarcastic comment. And so the way that we speak to other people, we've got to take control over our emotions. See, a new life in Christ, we're, we're a new creation so here's what he says then, as, as we continue in verse 9, he gives a, a third kind of a, a category. He says, do not lie to each other. So all of these sins, whether it's sexual sin or sins of anger and emotion, sins of, of lying, all of these things were, were things that they were dealing with then, and it's things that I believe we deal with now, that we struggle with now. And so Paul is calling us to put these things to death. And then he explains even more so in verse 9. Here's why we put these things to death. Because since you have taken off your old self 
with its practices, and in verse 10, and have put on the new self. You see, that's, that's our old creation, our old nature, our old self. That's what we've taken off, and we've put on our new self in Christ. And so, because of that, we should look different. And, he, and here's, here's the promise that he gives us. You see, we've, we've taken off that old sinful nature and put on the new, and then here's, here's how God helps us. Here's another continuing verb, right? A continuing action verb that um, he says in verse 10, having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So every day, we're being renewed, right? We're being renewed in our knowledge. What's our knowledge of our creator? It's, it's from this book, right? It's from the Bible. And we spend time reading God's word and studying God's word and spend time praying to God. God is continually renewing us. And then we begin to see that, man, I'm not struggling with that sin. Man, I'm pursuing Christ the way that I should be. And I'm, I'm walking in him. And so we pursue him daily. We're being renewed continually in the knowledge of our creator. And here's the cool thing. When we, as a body of believers, are walking the way that we're called to walk, here's what he says in verse 11. Here, that's in the, in the way that we're supposed to walk. It's not a specific place. It's, it's in, the, in how we're called to act. He says, here, there is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. You see, here's the cool thing. When the body of believers being recreated in Christ, living the way that we're called to be, there's no division in Christianity, right? In fact, Christianity breaks down the barriers of division. There's no division over race. There's no division over wealth or gender or status or political background or, or nationality. Christianity, Christ is all in, in all of us. He can be in all of our hearts, no matter the, the background that we bring. Because Christianity, we're, we're, we're drawn together by Christ and the way Christ lives in and through us. See, Jesus is the great unifier, as all distinctions are done away with. So as the body of Christ, Paul calls us to look in. He calls us to look in so that we put to death that old sinful nature that we struggle with, the old sinful nature. We take off that old self, we take off that old nature, and we put on Christ's likeness, to walk in Christ, to pursue Him. And so, we've seen that we've got to look up. Paul calls us to look in, to evaluate our own hearts. But here's the third thing. Paul says, look around. Look around. In this passage, see what he says here to look around. He says in verse 12, um, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Let me pause right there for a second. Let me back up. Why are we supposed to look around? It's like this. We're called to look around because as Christ followers, we're called to not have our focus, our attention on us, right? Matthew 22, the two great commandments says, love God and love others. So we're called to focus our attention around us and the people around us. And we're called to to see their needs, to see their hurts, how we can help them. But that's not the the way of the world, right? The world says to focus on ourselves. The world says, do what makes you happy. You know, put yourself first. Take care of your own needs. But as a Christ follower, we're called to look around, take care of the needs around us. So that's why when he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He's, he's given us some descriptors. Remember, because we're in Christ, we're hidden in Christ. We've put to death that sinful nature. 
And, and since we're living that way as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. In other words, dress yourselves, put on, live out this way, live with compassion, live with kindness, live with humility, gentleness, and patience. So these are the, the Christian virtues that we're supposed to exemplify Christ with. We exemplify these biblical virtues uh, by showing others what Jesus looks like in us. And so he's, he's called us to be compassionate and have kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then in verse 13, he says a couple more. Bear with each other. In other words, be understanding with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. And he gives another qualifier because we begin to say, oh, well, what does he really mean by forgive each other? So he says this, forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, that's the qualifier because I, I know this, I'm a sinful person and God's forgiven me a whole lot. And so in the same way that God's forgiven me of a lifelong life of sin, right? I'm, I'm called to forgive other people when they sin against me because God has forgiven me of the same sin. So we're, we're called to be understanding and forgiving isn't that incredible that, that that's the way that Paul lays out here that when we look around and we see hurtful things go on, we just begin to have to try to have an understanding heart and a forgiving heart toward others. And here's what he says in verse 14. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Here's the thing. Love is the most important virtue. Right? It, it binds these all together. Can you really be compassionate without love? No. Can you really be forgiving and kind and gentle and patient? All these things, can you really fulfill those biblical virtues without love? And the answer is no. Love is the umbrella that all of those fall under. Right? Love, is, love is the greatest one that brings all those, unites all those things together. And then in verse 15, he adds two more things. So again, these are our biblical uh, virtues that people around us should see. That's other believers in Christ Jesus. That's people that are lost. They ought to see these virtues in us and desire Christ in their own lives. So here's what he says in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. See, Paul adds two more virtues, right? Peace and gratitude. It says the, the peace of Christ should rule in your hearts. Man, how often are we ruled by stress and anxiety and frustration and anger and all these other emotions that tend to take control and take, take lead in our life when we're called to, to, to lead with peace. In the Beatitudes, we're called to be peacemakers. And so put on the peace of Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Then in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. You see, we've got to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That's how we, we're being renewed daily, by dwelling in his word, by focusing on what Christ has done for us, by focusing on who he is, his attributes, his loving kindness toward us, his forgiveness toward us. We've got to focus that on the word of Christ so that we can set our, our hearts and our minds on Christ, right? So that we could be living in him. 
And then, and then when we're, we're dwelling in God's Word, then it says that we're able to teach and admonish one another. In other words, we're, we're able, to lovingly, uh, we're able to, to lovingly encourage others toward Christ-likeness. Maybe when we see somebody getting off track slightly, we can lovingly correct them to, to, to follow Christ. See, the, so often um, we, we, we get off track and we, we neglect the Word of God. We neglect living according to the Word of God. And, and, and we're not living out the Word of God when we're not spending any time in His Word. So we've got to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. And I love this, the end of this. This is, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts, that's what we're doing when, when Todd's leading us in worship. We're singing biblical truth to encourage our own hearts, to teach one another. They didn't have Bibles floating around. They didn't have pew racks with Bibles in them and ten Bibles at home on their shelf. They learned those biblical truths by song. Those were hymns and spiritual songs that enabled them to learn who God was. Right? We all... You know, we, we struggle with scripture memorization, but you turn the radio on and you don't miss a beat, right? You're, you're singing every word because when you put it to a tune or to a song, it helps you remember it. And that's what he's saying. We're going to use music to help us teach the word of Christ to ourselves. And then in verse 17, it says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And, uh, you know, there's, there could be some confusion here. Um, let me try to clear this up. Uh, whatever you do includes everything you do, right? That includes everything you think, everything you say, everywhere you go. It's everything that we do in life. So everything that we do in life ought to bring glory and honor to Christ Jesus. Everything that we do. He doesn't say, well, unless you're frustrated or unless it's stressful at work or unless you and your wife haven't been getting along, or unless your kids are really frustrating you right now, right? Everything we do has got to bring honor to Christ in all of our actions, and all of our attitudes, and our thoughts, and everything that we do, because the Word of Christ is dwelling in us richly. Because King Jesus, from chapter 1, is our supreme authority in life. Think about this for a moment. At the body of Christ, and man, we're absolutely different. We're not all the same people, and that's a good thing, right? That's why we're able to have a bunch of different kinds of ministries, because there's people that can serve, and people that can build, and people that can sing, and people, all these different things, because we're not all the same person. But we're absolutely different, but there's no barriers to Christianity. We all come to faith in Christ, because Christ can be in all of us, no matter our background, no matter our race, no matter our nationality, right? No matter political ideology, no, no matter anything else, we can put on these virtues of love and of compassion and of kindness and of peace and of gratitude and of forgiving and of bearing with one another. We put on all these Christian virtues, and man, that can be tough, right? That can be tough for us to live out our life in Christ but that's what we're called to do in this passage. We've got to allow love to take over. We've got to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. And we've got to allow the word of Christ to dwell in our hearts and in our minds so that we can live for Christ Jesus. You see, here's the reality. The reality is, as we're looking around, not only to other Christ followers, 
But there's people who haven't put their faith in Jesus yet, right? There's people who haven't trusted in Jesus that we'd say they're lost. They, have, they haven't been saved from their sins yet. And so when, <clears throat> when they see us, when we encounter these people, we want them to see Jesus in us because we're exemplifying these biblical virtues. So here's what Paul says just a couple verses later, chapter 4. Chapter 4, Paul writes this. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. See, here's the thing. Hopefully they see something different in you and they want to know why. Right? That they ask you about it so that you can Show them the flavoring of Jesus, just like we put salt on our food. We can show them the kindness and the, and the grace of Jesus and what he's done for us. And we'll have an answer for them. We can point them to our king because we've not been judgmental. We've been gracious toward them. In this passage today, I want you to look up. Look up toward God. Look up toward what God has done for you in your Christian journey, from being raised with Christ, being hidden with Christ, being revealed with Him and His return. I want you to look in. You've got to fight against the sin in your life. That desire, Satan's constantly tempting us, right? Satan wants us to trip. He wants us to fall. So we've got to fight against the sin in our life and be renewing ourselves each day by God's Word. And finally, look around. Look around as you exemplify Christ to the world around you, both to believers and to unbelievers, so they can see Jesus in you. Let's point them to Jesus so that they want a relationship with him. This morning, I encourage you, look up, look in, and look around. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for Paul's challenge, the challenge to, to know who you are and to know how to live by keeping our focus, by keeping our eyes on you and evaluating our own hearts and looking at the people around us. So God, I, I pray that you help us to be faithful to do that. Lord, we thank you for your grace. This passage reminds us of your forgiveness, your goodness toward us. So Father, thank you that you're a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances, that we can come to you and receive grace and mercy. God, help us to be faithful in all that we do. It's in your sons and we pray. Amen. This morning, the invitation is this. First, I, if there's somebody in here that's, that's seeking, that wants to know more about Jesus, our first desire, our first invitation is come to Christ. Today, you can be raised with Christ and your life can be new. You can be created new in Christ Jesus today. Your sins can be forgiven. And you can be put on this journey to walk with Christ forever. Come. Come to Jesus. Maybe this morning you've just gotten sidetracked. You've gotten derailed. You've allowed some sin to take over. And come. Confess that to God. Ask for forgiveness. Begin walking new in Him today. Ask for renewing in His knowledge each day. Maybe you just want to come and join our church family. Maybe you want to come and, and follow in baptism, whatever it be. I, I just ask that as we stand and sing, that you respond faithfully to the Lord. Let's stand.
Thank you. Please be seated for just a moment more. Thank you, Tim, for sharing a great message uh, about a, what the Christian life looks like this morning. Thank you for sharing that. At the close of our service, I, I want to invite members of our church to share with us in our deacon election and deacon nomination. Inside your bulletin is a ballot. If you take that out at this time, we're going to take those up here in just a moment at the end of the service. hope you spent some time this week prayerfully considering this. And let me give you instructions. On one side of it, it says new deacon nomination form. Listed there are the 44 men who are ordained deacons in our church serving in our deacon family ministry. So these 44 are already ordained deacons. So you, if you're going to nominate someone new, you put a name other than any of these. So that list is just provided so you won't put one of those names and waste your opportunity there. So this is for someone new to be ordained as a deacon, uh, somebody who meets the qualifications in the Bible, a person of character, spouse is a person of character, uh, a person who's active in the ministry of our church. So you can nominate up to two people. There are two blanks there, and you can write two names there. On the other side is the deacon council election ballot. And here, you'll place a check mark by up to five names. These are the, a subset of what was on the other side. These are people who are already ordained deacons in our church, serving in our deacon family ministry, as all 44 do. But then we elect uh, a total of 15, five each year, uh, to serve on our deacon council. So you're going to select five, up to five of those, if you don't know Five of them, you can do less than that, but not more than. You place a check mark by up to five names there to elect them to serve a three-year term on our deacon council. I hope that's clear. And if you have, are done with that, whenever you're finished, you can fold your ballot over from top to bottom in half and then pass it to either of these two center aisles. And ushers are going to come down in a moment uh, when you're done and pick those up. So uh, I'm going to keep talking. You just hold those uh, uh, there at the end of the aisle, if you will, please. And an usher will be down or back up uh, to get those. So whenever you've got them at the end of the aisle, just hold them up so they'll know and they'll come get them. Now, while they're doing collecting those, let me share with you just a couple of other things. Um, we're doing outdoor services on Wednesday nights, and um, I'm preaching on a series on Ask the Animals, and they will teach you animal stories from the Bible. And so we started last week, had a good time. So this week, we, we got kids there, so kids can bring their stuffed animal and introduce it to us in this series. So we want to involve kids. If you adults have a stuffed animal and want to bring it, I'll let you introduce it as well. But primarily, kids, bring your stuffed animal this Wednesday. Now, we were going to have food trucks this week. Supposed to be really hot again. And at 5.30, when the food trucks get there, we're not completely covered in shade. So we're going to put that off to later in the summer when hopefully we get a little break from this anticipated high heat. And so food trucks will be later, but not this week. So don't show up hungry at 5.30 this week. This week we're going to have watermelon after the, uh, after the uh, uh, service. And so we're going to switch that fellowship up a little bit. It still says in your bulletin we couldn't get this worked out until after we printed that, that there would be food trucks here this week. They won't be here this week. They'll be here at a later time. Find some supper before you come. Come worship with us. Stay and eat some watermelon. That's this week, okay? Great. Hope you'll be a part of that. Um, as we go, you have an opportunity to give uh, your tithes and your offerings. Thank you for your generous giving through our church. This is an act of worship. Just as we've listened to singing and we've heard preaching and we've prayed, so giving 
is the way that we say, God, you've given me everything I have, and I give back to you a portion of what you've given. So there are offering boxes on the walls there as you go out right by the double doors, and you can place your offering there, or, of course, you can give online or on our church app. Tim will be at the Welcome Center. I'll be there part of the time. This morning, if you have a spiritual need, you can talk to some, a pastor there. You can join our church there. You can pray to receive Christ there. And so I hope you would stop by. If you're a guest, please stop by. We've got a small gift for you. We'd love to meet you. Let's pray together. Thank you for being here today. Hope you'll be a part of a connection group that follows up. Somebody at the Welcome Center would help you with that as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just want to pray especially again this morning for men in our church as we celebrate Father's Day. I pray that these words from Colossians that we've heard would characterize the lives of men in our church, that we'll be leaders of our families and leaders of this congregation. So, Lord, if there is any of this impurity or lust or, or malice or lying in our lives, change us, forgive us by the power of God. Thank you that we're on our way to being different because we've died with you and been raised with you. So I just pray you bless and guide young men, teenagers. I pray for fathers. I pray for grandfathers. I pray for Christian singles, for men in our church. I just want to pray over them, give you, pray that you'd strengthen and encourage them in a, in a culture that is turning away from you, that will be rocks that point people to Christ that lights. Bless each person here. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to worship you today. As we go, we pray we go with in your peace and with your blessing. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen.